Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 34 for the, what is this, the 8th of, or no, the 10th of August, 2009. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Top of the morning to you. Morning? What time zone are you in? Well, it's morning somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I wished it was morning. I could stand to get a little bit more accomplished today, although I can say that I did get a whole lot more accomplished than I expected to, so... Maybe it's because I just feel like I'm waking up. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly more awake than I was at 7 o'clock this morning, so... Been one of those days for me. Yeah, I know the feeling. It wasn't too bad for me today. I spent most of the day working on my program, my Android program, which... Now I'm hoping I can finally get it to the testers by tomorrow, end of the day tomorrow, I'm hoping, and then a general release by the end of the week or sometime next week, I'm hoping. So, Are you doing a free release or are you selling it? You know, I'm, I've been debating how I'm going to do it. Um, for those that don't know, I'm creating a note-taking application for Android, but not only can you type in notes, but you'll be able to um, do voice record. <laughs> voice recording of notes and stuff like that and what I'm thinking of doing is I'm going to release it in a couple of different versions one is as I have it now which is just the text and the, and the audio notes yeah I'm not sure if I'm going to charge for that or if I'm or not I'm either going to go free or 99 cents on that then hopefully a couple of weeks later I'm going to release a pro version which is you'll be able to like take pictures and stuff and have picture notes as well and then I'm thinking possibly another version on top, which that version will cost a little more, then possibly another version on top of that which will do video, but I haven't decided if I'm going to have a separate version for the video or just lump all that in with the Pro 2. I haven't decided quite yet. But I finally have all of the bugs worked out. I think I just got one little naming issue, and then I have to change the icon from the default and Android icon, and then it's done. Well, oh, wow. Final stretch. Exciting. Yep. It's been a lot of work to get here, but finally made it. But anyway, we've got tons of stories, so quick note. Um, make sure to check out the Global Geek News blog for those that haven't. Globalgeeknews.com slash blog, or just go to globalgeeknews.com and hit blog. And globalgeeknews.com is also where you'll be finding our show notes, and I just realized I forgot to turn my phone on vibrate. Um... There's been, I've put up a number of good posts on there last week that got quite a bit of traffic, so make sure to check them out, and I've also got ideas for some posts this week, so it's certainly worth checking out, and if you have any just general comments about the blog, let me know. I'm throwing around ideas of how to improve it, so if you have any ideas, shoot me an email or leave one in the comments or something. Anyway, I guess we can go ahead and jump right on into our first story, which is HDTVs are now in more than half of U.S. homes. Wow, this is a giant uptick. Um, According to this uh, CTAM uh, document, um, there's a list of several different uh, consumer electronics, uh, anywhere from DVDs to VCRs to cell phones to PCs and uh, video game systems. And the largest jump in in 
in any of those categories was about 4%, uh, except when you come to around the uh, HDTVs, and it went from 35% to 53%, which is a very impressive jump. Yeah, I think that's pretty much got to be almost entirely due to the DTV transmission, and instead of having to deal with converter boxes and everything, people just upgrading their TVs instead of... And who wants to deal with whether or not they're going to have to have a converter box and an extra um, antenna and everything? Just go with a new TV. And that that's kind of what I've done is I've upgraded all but one of the TVs in my house. I think um, I think retail adoption helped a lot also uh, when people went went to go buy a brand new t- brand new television. Um, you could you could definitely see that the CRTs were pushed towards the back and aren't really uh, being uh, incentives to, for people to purchase those, and, people, and the salespeople were really pushing seller uh, buyers towards the, the the flat panels. Yeah, I, I certainly I don't even know the last time I saw just a regular CRT TV in a brick and mortar store. Every, everyone's gone to either LCD or plasma, and even at that, most of them aren't doing a whole lot in terms of plasma. All right. The last time I saw actually a CRT, it was a high definition, capable CRT. I don't know if they're not making if they're making anything that's not HD anymore. I don't think, unless it's like I, for security cameras or something like that. Uh. No. Well, I know, I mean, there might be some that aren't HD, but I think all of them are at least digital. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, well, and that's not the only surprising number to come out of this. I mean, a lot of people seem to be making a big deal that um, there are 40% of households that own video game systems, although that's the same as last year, so I don't know why everybody's making such a huge deal out of that. But the one that shocks me is that 75% of people still have or apparently use their VCRs, which is down only 2% from last year. Yeah, that might be if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But uh, at this point, those VCRs are just playback only. They're not for recording. Yeah, I, I can't imagine why a lot of people would still be using them, considering uh, VCR died a long time ago. I mean, the last store that was selling them died... Oh, it's been a number of months ago. I know we covered it here on the show in the last store that had them shut down or stopped carrying them or whatever. Yeah, stopped manufacturing too, like several years ago. But it's funny how they have VCRs here, but they don't have DVRs. Yeah, that that's would be interesting to know. Although they do have DVDs, which is an 88%, and that includes DVD players, um, DVD players on computers and stuff like that, which... Given that, 88% seems a little bit low to me. I, I would have figured it would have been closer to 95. Yeah, I, that is... Yeah, I, I, if you have a any modern computer, anyone who owns a computer, mm-hmm. it most likely is going to have a DVD drive in it. Uh, the only way that... And, uh, and the people who don't, I mean, they have to have something to play back movies, unless you're a total, total Luddite and you really don't watch movies or use a computer and uh, it's it's amazing how what, what that percentage is actually yeah it kind of surprised me especially for I mean someone like me I've got 
let's see, how many devices do I have that can play DVDs that are currently functioning without broken sp screens and stuff? Let's see, one, two, three, four, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think I have ten things that play DVDs. Something like that. I'm at six. Actually, make that eleven. Come to think about it. But yeah, I, I mean, when you, when there's someone like me that has eleven things that can play DVDs, real, the idea that there's twelve percent of people out there that have nothing that can play DVDs is just kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. Well, I guess we're just picking up the slack. Yeah, apparently <laughs> so. I just hope next year they add. Um, uh, they add uh, Blu-ray to this list. Yeah, that... and I, I would also like to see personal MP3 players too. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see, especially the Blu-ray. Although I thought we saw some statistics uh, a month or two ago that had um, some Blu-ray statistics on there. I have to go back in the show notes and a few episodes ago and check. But I'm, if I remember right, there was something having to do with those. Yeah, I remember. I'm not sure if we covered it in this show, but yeah, they're saying that uh, Blu-ray is outpacing DVD sales at its same point in its inception. Uh, but but we'll, we'll we'll have to see about you know what kind of year-on-year growth that is percentage-wise, as in the country. Yeah, I'm also curious to know what percentage of hacked consoles there are out there. Oh well, I think it's going to be a smaller percentage now that uh, they're starting to crack down on that. I don't know. In this case, it was just one kid in California, a college student or whatever, that was selling his services to mod video game consoles that people could play backups of their games and stuff for 30 bucks. But apparently, I guess it was the ESA, um, apparently didn't, the Entertainment Software Association apparently didn't take too kindly to that, and now he's facing... Ten years in jail for two counts for two counts of breaking the DMCA. Well, he's probably a non-traditional student because he's 27 years old, uh, which seems a little old to me. Um, but yeah, he was uh, installing mod chips and uh, which will allow his console to play backup games. I know it's hard over over Skype to see my air quotes, but it's <laughs> backup games. Um, and he said that uh, if he's he would only do his services just for those purposes, and if uh, if it was if they wanted to use it to play pirated games, that to contact someone else, and that he was not in that business. Uh, but of course, uh, the authorities didn't see that way and uh, put him put him away, and he could be in jail for up to ten years. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious how he how the authorities found out and turned him in. That's what I would like to know. I think it's they've probably tracked him down through his importing of these mod chips. That would be my guess. I mean, the average person shouldn't run into this issue. This is more a case of if you're doing this for profit like he was, then this is an issue. But if you're just someone who wants to um, install a mod chip on their Xbox or do custom firmware on their PSP or whatever, yeah, it's illegal, but you don't really have to worry about them pursuing it because it's not economical for companies to pursue something like that if you're just doing it for yourself. I think it's just sad that things like that is illegal, but not the actual process. Uh, mm -hmm. 
that's what should be illegal. Pirating games should be illegal if they're going to make something illegal. Not installing mod chips that has a possibility of, a pir- of pirating games. Yeah, essentially for those that don't know, mod chips generally add extra functionality. Or mod chips and custom firmware and stuff generally add extra functionality to a gaming system or whatever kind of system doesn't necessarily have to be gaming. But in this case, like in my case, I've got custom firmware on both of my PSPs, which I don't know how much more illegal stuff I should really admit to on this show. <laughs> You're making a case for him. <laughs> yeah, eh, I don't care. But anyway, it gives you a bunch of extra features. Yeah, you can play game backups. Um, a lot of people... Um, use it to pirate games as well. I know a lot of people will go on like Mini Nova or the Pirate Bay or whatever, download games just to try them out because sometimes games don't have demos or they just want to get a better idea of a game that compared to what you can get in the demo. I mean, the new Batman demo came out last week, which I played on the PS3, which is absolutely amazing, but it's so short that you... Arkham Asylum? Yeah. That you don't really get that great of an idea of it. Although what idea you do get of it is it's awesome. But I mean this it's generally about adding extra functionality and if if you're just doing it on your own, you're not gonna get in trouble for it or you shouldn't. But if you're trying to do it for profit, then you may have may need to be a little bit sneakier. Yeah, but this reminds me of like uh removing a governor off of a car so you can go faster mm-hmm. and then you do that and then you get arrested for speeding. Mm-hmm. Speeding is illegal, but removing the gunner off the car should not be. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a, a little cart before the horse, a little minority report uh, kind of a thing where people are getting arrested for things that could be used to be used illegally. I just think this is wrong. Yeah, I've, I've never done any of the mod chip stuff just because I have no soldering skills to speak of, but I do enjoy doing custom firmwares on my PSP, and I'm hoping eventually maybe we'll get some custom firmware for, like, the iPod Touch or something. So, under this DMCA law, mm-hmm. if you install, let's say, Blu-ray ripping software on your laptop or desktop, could you get arrested under the DMCA? As far as I know of, no. As long as you're not... Um... It depends on if you're, if the software or whatever circumvents any kind of uh, piracy protection or deletes DRM or whatever. But even if it does, but you've never used it for that, mm. could you still get arrested? Then no. Then that sounds exactly like this case. A mod chip can be used to copy games, but having a mod chip in and of itself doesn't mean that you used it to copy games. Yeah, but if it's installed, there are like certain hardware things, hardware security measures and stuff that are generally bypassed with mod chips so you can run unsigned code. You can, but is it illegal unless you do? Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. Because like some of the other mod chip cases I've seen is like people like way back at the original Xbox where they would mod the Xbox and then load like so many games on the hard drive and just hand it back over to you and say, here you go. That I understand. I mean, you're distributing pirate material on the console itself when you mod it and then you sell it back and, and you give it back to someone. This was just a simple 
thing of like unsoldering something and resoldering another chip, right? As far as I know, but even the sale of mod chips in the U.S. is illegal from last I knew, as to where most people have to generally get their mod chips from Japan. Or anywhere in Korea that's disreputable enough to do that, but yeah. yeah. Well, well, okay. But yeah, I think you actually have to circumvent. That's my belief anyway. That I think they should change the law so that you actually have to circumvent protection, meaning that you have to do it at least once before you can get prosecuted for it. Yeah. Well, one of the things with the DMCA is a lot of times it depends on how long ago you did it, because there is a five-year statute of limitations on the DMCA. So if you did this stuff more than five years ago, you don't have anything to worry about anymore. Yeah, but if it's well, more recent than that, you may have issues. And it's also, what is considered encryption? Like, would a barcode reader be considered breaking encryption? Uh, I wouldn't think so. I'm not sure. I mean, because I mean, it looks cryptic when you see a whole bunch of bars, and you take a, you, you take your, you know, your phone, and you read the barcode. Mm-hmm. You're you're decrypting it into human reading format. Why is that not illegal? Well, I think the barcodes are, I think, is like an open format or whatever, so it's not necessarily protected in that manner. I don't think. Yeah. Well, so is uh, the the GPL. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean, that's copyrighted. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's freely distributed, so I don't know. Let's <laughs> let's not get in this debate. We don't make the laws. Uh, we just hopefully they'll they'll get changed so they make more sense to regular people. Yeah. Well, speaking of laws and running afoul of them, the Pirate Bay is getting a Dutch retrial. This isn't the one where they lost and ended up with a year prison sentence. This is the um, court case from last week where apparently they would be fined $42,300 a day if they didn't shut down operations in the Netherlands. But apparently they were never notified that the case was even going on or whatever. It was somebody else that told them. So since they were never notified or whatever, they're getting a retrial, and they don't have to, as of right now, don't have to shut down in the Netherlands. Yeah, someone's probably getting yelled at a lot about not notifying them, at least officially. Uh, to lose that on the possibility of all that revenue, like if they were ever going to get the money, but uh, also granting them a, a retrial uh, by default. Yeah, they had ten dollar. They had ten days to shut down before that. Um, before they started getting that large fine every day, which, from whenever I've heard this stuff before, is it doesn't seem to be that difficult to block connections to a certain country. So I don't think this really would have been any big problem for them to try and block it, but it would still suck for users in the Netherlands. Yeah, uh, unless they were smart enough to use a proxy server or something like that, which they probably are. Um, But this is going against the Internet of certain countries can go to some websites and certain countries cannot. Uh, the website, um, the web was meant to be ubiquitous. It should be the same no matter where you are in the world. And I think things like this uh, is is going against the nature of the internet. And I think it's just wrong. Yeah. Well, it was the Breen that brought this um, lawsuit into the court, which 
they're also the ones that's entangled with, I believe, Mini Nova right now and others. They're they're basically kind of like the RIAA of the Netherlands, pretty much. And and I think it's just I don't know if it's just the Netherlands that they're in or what, because I know IFP's in Sweden. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm fairly sure on that. But anyway, they were the ones that brought this lawsuit, and it was, I'd, I'd say it's kind of their their fault that they screwed up on this, but they're basically saying that since everybody pretty much uses the Pirate Bay for piracy, then it should be blocked. But they, of course, no one ever likes to mention that places like the Pirate Bay can be used for um, seeding Linux distros and stuff. Yeah, the Pirate Bay has a bad image. I think it's the name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't first. help much. Yeah, uh, but uh, side note, I think the brain sounds like either a Doctor Who alien or a Stargate alien. All right. Uh, actually, there was um, the brain were in the last few seasons of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. DS Nine. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. I knew it was aliens from some sci-fi. Yeah. And you were catching up with DSP, Deep Space Nine not just recently, so. Yeah, I think I'm on disc two of season three now. I'm watching my way through them again. Yeah, my memory is uh, not that good. I haven't seen it since it was on television. Um, but I, I, this is interesting. I guess this is more action about Pirate Bay. More people are uh, are uh, gunning for them. Um, I think personally, um, just how like you know Peter left. I think the founders are probably going to start falling off one by one, just saying you know it's not worth it. We can't fight the good fight anymore. We're this is taking up all our time. And it, I think the risk and reward um, equation is just out of balance now. Yeah, I think a lot of it will depend on if the sale goes through. I think that's kind of the hinge point here. The thing is, the, there's a question, since they're, they're claiming on one hand that they're not the owners. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, uh, there's a sale, so that would entitle them to 0% of the money. So I think taking the money could also be saying that they were the owners if they get a portion of that. Yeah, I'm not sure quite how that how that's going to work. I don't know, I'd, I'd say if they were smart, they could get their hands on the money and use it to pay their fines and see what they could do about that year in prison, but who knows. But speaking of piracy, apparently 14 to 24 year olds in the UK pirate an average of 8,100 tracks apiece. Music tracks. Yeah. Not surprising. <laughs> I I was kind of surprised by just how large it is. I mean, I could see maybe like 3,000 or something, but 8,000 just seems a little on the high side to me. I think it's the disproportionate um, uh, content licensing uh, that we have here as opposed to there. There's a lot of stuff that you can get here in the states digitally that you can't get um, overseas because of licensing restrictions. And also, um, I would say that uh, there's probably a more international listenership. Uh, I mean, non uh, non country wide musics music that's available in the UK as opposed to here. Uh, here in the US, we're pretty US centric, but in the UK, you have the EU and all these other countries where you have a lot more musical influences and so I think it's the same thing we're um, they're an island amongst themselves and uh, 
and I I think it's the the since we don't have like very liberal licensing laws at least here in the states to international um, I think that pirating might be the only way they get most of their music like look at the iTunes store yeah well I don't know I've always thought that Europe kind of had the better music compared to the US but maybe that's just me but there's some interesting statistics in all of this of the 1,808 people surveyed, 61% admitted to downloading music via peer-to-peer networks, including BitTorrent. 83% of those admitted to doing so daily or weekly. And apparently 86% admitted to also having copied CDs from their friends. Yeah, that's a lot of people. I mean, there's, there's a theory going that since streaming is highly available, that uh, it should cut down piracy... Uh, I'm not sure if it has, but these numbers are pretty high. Um, also, there's another school of thought saying that uh, the generation now growing up thinks music is free, and they're used to just getting it when they want it. Yeah, that's actually kind of addressed a little, little bit further down, where it says 85% said they would welcome an all-you-can-eat download service for a fixed monthly fee, but only 57% said that access to such service would stop them from illegally sharing files because it's a habit now they have a routine right. uh, I I want a song I go get it here um, changing habits is, is is hard to do once they're developed which is the reason why uh, all you can eat services and different ways of monetizing um, monetizing music should have been developed years ago and we're gonna see the same thing on, on in videos yeah, uh, to an extent, it kind of surprised me. I mean, yeah, habits are hard to break, and I'm finding it harder for myself to break because I'm, at least for music, trying to get a- away from being a pirate. Movies, I'm pretty much completely away from being a pirate. TV shows are still open game, but whoa, that was I'm getting like some GSM noise or something here. I don't know if that's my phone or maybe it's you. Anyway, uh, lost my point. Um, You're moving away from being a pirate. Yeah. Zoom pass, maybe. You know, I my problem is that I mean I would do stuff like that if it was a keep the music kind of a thing rather than if I don't pay for a month I don't get to listen to any of my music. If if it was a download all you want and keep it then that would be different. I would certainly sign up for something like that. Well, I think Zoom Pass, you get five free uh, every month to carry over if you uh, like. I believe it's ten, actually. I ten? Think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a Zoom for a long time. I've recently moved over to my iPod, but I don't know. I, I like the idea of the Zoom Pass, but it's just not quite what I'm looking for yet. And hopefully that'll change, I don't know. But what what's also surprising is that in this world where people have over 8,000 songs on their hard drive, um, 77% of those surveyed said that they would still buy physical CDs even if they could get an all-you-could-eat download service. That that figure kind yeah. of shocks me. Yes. 
I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that might be the universal nature of CDs. You can play in the car, you can play in your home entertainment system, you can, uh, I mean... Well, yeah, anymore, you can pretty cool. much take your iPod or Zune or whatever and with, like, an FM transmitter or whatever, take it essentially anywhere. But that's an extra piece that you have to carry around with you. It's not already there. If an FM transmitter was something that's built into everything, uh, uh, like built into the Zune or built into um, into the iPod, and you can just do it and not need an extra module, that'd be one thing. But I think that's the same thing with CDs. I mean, you get you get a rental car, I, it's like a toss-up whether or not it has an aux jack or not. Yeah. Well, certainly some interesting numbers. Don't forget to check those out in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. We didn't, we of course didn't cover everything, but we did hit the main points. But speaking of being online, apparently now for a lot of families, or even many families, um, actually that's probably the same thing. Anyway, apparently a lot of people, myself, or even most families actually. Yeah. (laughs) And apparently a lot of people, including myself. Wake up to the internet before anything else in the morning. Yes, it's a good way to see where you are. You know, plan out your day instead of walking into a crap storm. the The more you know, and the sooner you know, the better you are to make uh, decisions and reactions. Um, I I don't think of myself as odd when I wake up, roll over, grab my phone, see if any voicemails, emails. Uh, text messages, see if they're waiting for me, and and then uh, see if there's any extra urgent that I need to get to. Yeah, I myself, whenever I wake up in the morning, I move straight from the bed, one foot over to my chair, assuming I feel like getting out of bed, and if not, I keep my netbook in bed with me, but as soon as I wake up in the morning, I'm immediately checking my email, my Google Reader, and TweetDeck, as well as my Facebook, just to find out what I missed during the night, what's new in the news, and everything else. And this is before any trips to the bathroom, getting ready for work, or anything. And apparently this seems to be taking hold in a lot of families, to the point that it's even hurting their family time. Yeah, in this specific story, they're saying that it, it was hurting time, but then again, the, the lone person in the group, which was the mother in this specific example, uh, gave in and started doing it herself. Uh, popped out her laptop. So, I mean, I think if you let it totally, totally withdraw you from the, the social engagements of your own family, then that's a problem. But um, I think it's all about manageability. you got to manage how you use the technology and not let the technology use you. Yeah, oh, this almost kind of sounds like some kind of a technology addiction, because even it says that where the dad apparently even text messages the kids whenever he needs them, just because he knows they'll always um, be getting their phones, and he even uses that as their alarm, and they'll text him in the morning to wake him up for school or whatever. So I, I think that's going a little bit overboard, but a lot of these, um, some of the stuff that they cite in here is that until now... Um, there's usually always, there's, well, there still is a major drop-off in traffic between midnight and 6 a.m. It used to be between about midnight and 8 or 9 a.m. when people got to work. Then 
once people got to work it would shoot way up. Now it's starting to where by 7 o'clock it's really picking up and that's just kind of what they're using to assume that most people are doing this as soon as they get out of bed or if, or even before they get out of bed. Yeah, I think it's mobile devices, um, like we were talking about before. It, it takes it takes a while for a computer to boot up, and it's just basically a hassle. And especially if you're taking that computer to work, they have to shut it down and let it go, let it go to sleep, and then pack off and be off for the day. With something like a mobile phone, and, and especially with the iPhone, it it being a, a great gateway device to uh, surf on the web, uh, it's easier to turn that on and be more of an appliance. Uh, instead of uh, uh, a computer in which, you know, it does all this these things and it takes so long to get started. Yeah. Yeah, I know I always leave my stuff running 24-7 so that even if I wake up in the middle of the night, I can just go straight to my computer. I that, That's just kind of the way I am. I'm generally on the computer, mm, with the exception of like when I'm driving around or maybe little bits of time here and there at work. I'm... I would say I'm on the computer usually from about 6.30 in the morning to close to midnight every day. That's not... I would say, yeah, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much same schedule, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that people do online, social networking, and apparently now the Marines can't. Uh, yeah. Marine Corps has banned social networks. Yeah, like Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, uh, which is something that uh, has been touted as a lifeline to society back home, and um, but apparently it's a huge security risk. Um, I, I'm surprised that the the government hasn't either made their own uh, social media so social network, or just you know spy on their on the the on the troops just like they spy on the American people. Yeah, I can kind of see both sides of this argument. I mean, the Department of Defense is basically looking at this for the entire Department of Defense, but although the Marines seem to be the one taking the first step to ban social networks, which I can totally understand because they're wanting to keep a lot of the viruses and spyware and stuff off of military networks, which can easily be distributed through social networks, especially MySpace. But you can still get um, viruses and stuff like Kubeface through Facebook. So I can understand it from a security standpoint, but at the same time, I know myself personally, my best friend is in Iraq, or, well, I think he, he's in Kuwait getting ready to go over into Iraq or whatever. He's in the Army. What does his Facebook page say? Uh, <laughs> as far as <laughs> location, he hasn't updated that. I, I don't... From what his wife said, that he's not allowed to put information like that on Facebook. Exactly. But Rinks. But yeah, I mean, there's you don't want to let information like that out. But at the same time, that's his. That seems to be his main method of communication between me, his parents, even his wife. And Facebook is pretty much the way he communicates with a lot of people back home. Well. If there was a military website that, you know, you had a special, like, key fob for um, just, like, you know, a little RSA key or something that rotated security codes and had that issued to your family so they can log on to a network and be able to talk to you and connect with you and, um, 
and it's maintained by the U.S. government just to make sure that you know they're not rolling out any security features that uh, I'm sorry, any uh, security vulnerabilities and, um, that allow for viruses to flourish and for any personal information to even be seen. Um, I think that would be the best thing. That way it would be one place where everyone can connect under the government control. Um, maybe even if you needed to put some sort of censorship. So if they say Kuwait or Iraq or I'm moving to or I'm in, you can at least red, red flag it and so to make sure that um, to remind the troops not to say things. Um, I'm not saying necessarily to block it, but at least not to say things that could be um, forbidden or put them in danger. Yeah, it's just kind of a fine line you have to walk, I think. But, I don't know, I, I think that, especially stuff with military and, like, boot camp and stuff, they should teach basic online security so that these, so that they know what links are bad to click on and stuff like that. True. But, um, yeah, it, it's either taking it as a whitelist approach or a blacklist approach. Either you say you can go here, here, and here, and not here, and not anywhere else, or just say you can't go to these sites, and then you can go everywhere else. Um, each has their own problems and drawbacks. Uh, but, you know, the troops have a unique situation in which uh, they still need to have some sort of semblance of uh, communication with, with their, their family across, uh, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of miles they're away. Yeah. Well, it, it's sad that they're doing this, but I completely understand why they're doing it at the same time. Yeah. There needs to be something that they can use, but I don't know, I'd hate to have to go back to email, but that's just me, I guess. Yeah, I totally see both sides of the debate. Well, speaking of social networks, apparently Facebook can threaten relationships, according to a new study. Yeah, a Canadian report finds that the postings on social media websites can trigger escalating feelings of jealousy between uh, romantically involved individuals. So uh, I can see how one person talking on the internet, maybe possibly affectionately to another, can can trigger those feelings in in, in their mate. Yeah, I I can certainly see this and to an extent I mean I've never um, had this circumstance where I'm like romantically involved with anybody gotten jealous and whatever but I mean I can understand this to an extent because usually if somebody tells me something that I'm not real sure of like in this case um, for people telling their significant other that or that they're not cheating but they you think they could be or whatever and you go on to Facebook and check to see if there's any signs that they could be cheating or whatever and but whenever I come across something that I'm not sure if someone's telling me the truth or whatever a lot of times I, I'll go to Facebook or whatever check their status updates or their Twitter account and check their updates there to see if they're if what they're telling me checks out so you're saying that it kind of creates a little uh, like a, a log file for a person's activity and uh, having access to that file or having that readily available can uh, expose yourself to uh, holes in your story um, that that didn't exist before uh, being on a social network. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you just kind of have to do a better job of keeping your lies consistent. 
<laughs> I think it's a little bit more innocent than that. Um, I think being on Facebook or any social network, especially if it's text-based, um, emailing back and forth, anything, um, gives you a certain filter. Uh, you, you, you read things before you post them. You read things before you say it on IM or um, or you do it over even over email. So you read it, you make sure it makes sense, you make sure it's uh, it's it's not offensive, and then you send it. And then that I think that split second, that filter that you have uh, puts you in a better light uh, over the internet and social media networks than in real life. And I think that delta, that difference between real life and your online life, those two personalities uh, make it may make it seem to your significant other that you're nicer to everyone else than you are to them. And I, I think that part can kind of make it a little bit... Uh, I can see how people can get jealous over someone else that feels that they're treating someone else better than they're treating their, their spouse or their mate. Yeah, that's one of the things you kind of have to be careful of when you're online is how you filter yourself and and you want to just be yourself online. Don't come across as somebody else that you're not because when you see somebody in person, they're going to be able to tell right away if you're phony or not. Of course. And uh, I think possibly, possibly, there's a possibility that if you are in a relationship, you might feel the need to be someone else more than being yourself because um, they might think that they'll never ever meet the other person on the other side of that keyboard right and that could that could be a problem too yeah well speaking of a bit of a divide apparently Twitter isn't as popular with young people as one might think yeah there are more people who are over that uh, who are over the age of 55 than under the age of 25 so it seems that teens really don't uh, dig the Twitter. Yeah, I don't know. To an extent, I can't blame them. I mean, I personally find it to be a very useful service, but that's just me. Although I kind of understand where this, um, why it seems to be skewing as old as it is, and that's because a lot of places, especially I mean, mainly news sources like CNN, Fox News, and stuff like that, have adopted it, and they generally tend to have a much older audience. So that would bring more people 55 and older to something like Twitter. I would think that uh, when you when it skews younger like this of people not joining Twitter, um, I think it's more because of the the dynamic uh, of young people towards themselves of seeking people like themselves. Um, so it could be a self-fulfilling prophecy saying there's not a lot of teens on Twitter, so they won't be a lot of teens on Twitter. Because mm -hmm. they're not going to go there because there aren't a lot of teens there. Um, also, um, it's harder to connect to people on Twitter. You have to search for them, find them, then add them, then see what they're up to. Um, with something like Facebook, you say, oh, you're friends with so-and-so, and that naturally kind of organically expands out to people who go to the same school, uh, who are in the same circles, uh, have the same uh, have the, the same interests. And I think that that part of it uh, is why I think Facebook is more popular than Twitter and will remain so 
and um, and also uh, when I was younger, I wasn't terribly interested in reaching out to people who weren't in my uh, immediate area, mm-hmm. and so I think that's another thing where uh, Facebook, which is totally adequate, uh, is is better than Twitter. Um, you, it's hard to find people in your area, go to your high school, and to communicate and keep up with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a large part of it, too, is that generally teens don't want to be on the same service, especially like a social network, as their parents. And I see all the time mm. Uh, mm-hmm. tweets pe- tweets or Facebook status updates are saying, oh, no, my mom or my dad is on Twitter. I guess I better leave now. I, I That's kind of the way I initially reacted when I was on Facebook, and my parents joined and a good percentage of my extended family started to join Uh, that's generally speaking I tend to be an early adopter and I and when people like that start to show up that means it's time for me to move on to something new yeah it's jump the shark when your parents join yeah pretty much yeah well I guess you know, meaningful meaningful conversations. I think uh, Twitter's not really good for that because of the asynchronous uh, way that it performs, um, and it's hard to keep track. And you can get lost in the noise unless you become really, really organized. And it takes work, and it takes a little. Uh, it takes maybe more work than people are used to uh, used to doing. Yeah, it it's it it's certainly a simple service but it's probably not maybe not the most efficient service I would say and if you use something like TweetDeck where you can group people into certain groups and stuff I then I think you're generally on a much um, better level and can uh, take a service like Twitter a whole lot easier than somebody who just sees all these people twittering about anything and everything and they're not real sure what to do with it. It's just yeah. kind of a case of you have to find your value in Twitter. What is, what is it that makes Twitter valuable for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Twitter's not really sticky. It's a large stream of data. And it's it can be very overwhelming. Uh, when you think about a teen... They are going to be active on the weekends and before and after school. And so that big chunk during the day, they're not on it. And so when they get home, there's a lot of stuff that's going on that's not their friends who are not in school. So um, I can see why it would be not popular with that demographic for those reasons, too. Yeah. Well, speaking of not popular things, apparently (laughs) AT&T decided in their terms of service agreement or whatever, you can no longer file class action lawsuits against them. It's no longer permitted. Yeah. So it's official. AT&T says no class. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, this just... How can you s- say that you can't file a lawsuit like that in your terms of service? I, mean, I can't imagine that being legal. Yeah. You know, they say, iPhone, baby! We got a Muni. <laughs> so yeah. they they figure that they can do whatever they want as long as they got the iPhone. But but seriously, um, I've always wondered 
how much of your rights can you legally sign away? I understand that you can sign a contract and you say, I won't, I won't do this anymore, or I allow you, I, I give up certain rights. But could you, could you sign a contract saying that I will uh, be your slave? No. Um, I will, uh, that you can legally kill me um, and murder me outright, and I give you permission. No, you can't do that. Um, with with people writing these this, these certain terms in the contract, I, I wonder at one point will it become illegal, regardless of whether or not you sign the contract or not. Yeah, I, uh, stuff like this, and they even mentioned it in the article when they have when they put stuff like this in there that is generally all for one side. It essentially gives you the opportunity to make the contract null. So. For those that are looking to get out of their AT&T contract, this could essentially be one way out. Uh, yeah, it could be. Uh, AT&T, shame on you. Uh, I don't understand why. If, if I know if T-Mobile had a decent network, uh, they, there would be no more AT&T. Yeah. I just I just hope for that day that and I hope that T-Mobile is investing in LTE or WiMAX or something to leapfrog AT&T and uh, it would uh, expedite their demise. Yeah. I'm a Sprint customer so go Sprint. <laughs> go. Yeah, screw those AT&T people. Uh, actually, yeah, actually I'm Nextel, but yeah. All or same. Verizon Mobile or Boost or whatever. Yeah. Well, speaking of phone services that work in some areas, <laughs> uh, apparently in Blackhawk County, Iowa, you can now text message 911. Right. It's, of all the places to get text messaging to 911, I never would have thought somewhere in Iowa would have been the first place. They're pioneering it. Uh, ultimate communications. Uh First, there are landlines and expense cell phones, and next, I guess, text messages. Uh, I would hate to see that this be abused because there you can't prove that there's a human on the other end, like a, a cell phone call or a landline call. You can set up a robot to send text messages, which is kind of scary what this could lead to. Yeah, this is by no means a perfect system. Because when you send text messages, messages, there's no location information sent. So as soon as you send a text to 911, you get a reply back asking for your zip code or location or whatever. And then from there, they'll, I would assume an actual person would be on the other end. But if your location comes back and it's not within the Black Hawk County area, you're just told to call 911. Mm-hmm. Just seems a little dumb to me, but I don't know. Yeah, I would like to see a year from now what this looks like. Uh, if they said it was a success or a bad experiment. I would say this is going to be a bad idea, but I don't know. It, it It's going to be interesting to see. I, I know, like, they're going to have a couple of stories in which they'll be able to tell. Uh, this is a situation in which this system did save someone's life, or did uh, give aid um, where any other means would not be possible. Um, this actually might be really good for um, the impaired, uh, either uh, visually 
or uh, verbally impaired in order to have another way that they can communicate with 911s. I know they already have their what the uh, TTY systems, but still, I mean, if you're out and about and you don't have access to that system, this might be another way. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if anybody actually uses the system, even if it's only one place that's doing it, which I can't imagine this getting much use or even much press so that the people of Blackhawk County, which I don't even have a clue where that's at, would even know that the service even exists. But who knows? Yeah, and only the and it's only available to a, a T-Mobile affiliate. I guess I didn't see that part. Hmm. Yeah, it's only and so it's only one county, one affiliate, um, which is what is called iWireless. So I mean, it's a small sliver, small sliver in a remote part of the country. Yeah, I, I, it still doesn't make any sense to me why they would be the first ones, but who knows? I guess. I think that I don't know if you have it there, but it would make sense if they rolled out maybe a three one one. Before they would go out a nine one one. Yeah. Well, you can certainly get four one one everywhere with Google's four one one, but I'm not. I guess I don't even know what the three one one is. Three one one is not emergency services here in here in uh, Austin. Hmm. Um, like you see a car parked in the road, mm-hmm. it's just a band. You call three one one instead of nine one one. You see that uh, there's a giant pothole in the road. You call three one one instead of nine one one. I can only think of road dis- road examples, but it's just non emergencies that uh, mm-hmm. noise complaints, for instance, three one one instead of nine one one. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I have to do anything like that, I just generally call a police dispatch, just because I have to call them for work all the time anyway. But anyway, I guess that happens to be all of our stories for this week and actually we're running a little early again this week so hey yeah make make sure to check out all the show notes you can read everything about all the stories at globalgeeknews.com don't forget to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog and eventually whenever i figure out how to get it running it'll be at globalgeeknewsblog.com but that's not quite yet right now i'm focusing on getting my android app out there and as soon as that's done I'm going to be moving all of the audio files for Global Geek News onto Amazon's S3 service so that I stop getting complaints about the slow download times because my hosting service sucks. What about the... You're working on a Kindle app, right? Mm, no. I mean, not a Kindle app, but getting the, the RSS or the podcast or the, the your blogs on, on the Kindle. Am I wrong? Uh, the blog is on the Kindle. I believe it runs $1.99 a month, I believe. Um, yeah, it, it's on there, but as far as I know, no one's ever subscribed to it. So if you have a Kindle, make sure you subscribe to it on there if you're willing to pay to subscribe, which I would hope so. Or you can always send me donations. I'll set up a donation link, too, because donations would be nice. Yes. I used to get those, but for some reason I took down the donation link when I was having issues. Issues with the issues. site layouts with the website or like mental issues or maybe a little bit of both but mostly the site layout <laughs> but maybe one caused the other yeah probably but anyway um any comments suggestions for the show um ideas on future guests 
shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com, or you can just leave a comment in the um, post that's got all the show notes and everything, which, again, is at globalgeeknews.com. Um, I can't think of anything else major coming up. So, that said, I am pcnerd37 on Twitter. You are Wesley83 on Twitter. That's right. And we will see you next week. Later. Bye.